Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right. You know, um, last uh, four years of my life have been a bit crazy. Anyone else had a season, that the wilderness, that's gone a bit longer than what you thought, Mel? I'm like, you preach it, babe. That's really good. Um, four years ago, I, I found uh, myself in a real battle with my health. I've always been really healthy. And um, a little while ago, found myself in this battle with not, not life-threatening at all, but definitely um, a battle for living life to its fullest. And so, four years ago, my prayer life actually turned upside down, and I've been on a beautiful four-year journey of what it means to pray and to really push in in ways that I've probably, until that point, had not discovered. And so today, I just want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about prayer and about the pushing through that it takes sometimes in our prayer life and um, and what God has actually called us to uh, in when we spend time with Him. Because I know for many of us and for me, I'm the queen of fast prayers, right? Um, I've got three kids um, four at the moment, which I'll explain later. Um, just keeps adding up. I don't know, I didn't even, you know, nothing. Anyway, um, there are four now at the moment. And, um, and so for me, the kitchen sink prayer, anyone do the kitchen sinks there? Jesus, please just make them stop fighting. I have two boys that are two years apart, right? So that happens. There's blood, there's bruises. Someone said to me once, you should have them close together. They'll be great mates. That is such a lie. It's completely untrue. Anyone got children about two years apart, less? Do they get along? Oh, praise Jesus. So they might turn out all right. That'll be good. Anyway, so they fight. Um, but what was I even saying? <laughs> Stress, prayer. Back to prayer. Kitchen sink prayers. I'm the queen of them. The other one is the Jesus, I'm driving to school. Please just help me with my day prayer. There's the um, as you're falling asleep prayer. I'm going to spend some time with you, Lord. And just, just, I'm so tired. And you're asleep before you know it, right? Most of us are pretty good at those kind of prayers. And I think they are some of our lifeline. I truly believe that those prayers that we whisper when we are so tired and so worn out that God just meets us there. And so, but today, I just feel a need to challenge us to go a little deeper. You know, I know many people who do devotionals every morning. I've never quite been able to do that. I kind of quickly try, but I often don't, to be completely honest. And they're great as well. But four years ago when I got um, sick... I began to discover a place in my prayer life and my time with the Lord that was far deeper and far more satisfying, far more empowering than I'd ever, ever had before. And it actually came in a secret place. And earlier this year, I found myself drawn to Psalm 32. 
And um, I've written in my Bible just the date because for some reason it just pulled me in this psalm. And so today I want to share it with you and what I've learned in particular over this year. This year has been especially tough on our family. And um, you know it's been especially tough when your mother tells your sister that you're finally looking 40. No joke. That happened this week. She said, oh, she's really looking her age now. Seriously, mum? Like, don't say that. Anyway, so you know it's been a tough year, right? I felt like saying it's half your fault, which you'll hear about later. But, but you know it's been a tough year, right, when that happens. And so Psalm 32 has been my, my strength and my place to go when things just seem totally out of control. So why don't we go there together? Psalm 32, starting in verse 3. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Who's excited? Good? Yeah. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Therefore... Let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble, and you surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life, and I will advise you and watch over you. So four years ago, I developed a time in, um, in my world, three or four times a week, where I would meet with Jesus. And what I decided to do was actually make it more and more regular in my life. And now it's in my journal, it's in my diary. And every single week, I meet with him, three or four times a week, where it's just him and me in my secret place. And what I found from that is that every time I meet The idea of a secret hiding place has just kind of grabbed me. And the more women and the more people I pastor, the more I realize that in today's society, one of the most missed opportunities, the most missed thing in our spiritual walk is perhaps this idea of spending long times in Jesus's presence. And I'm hesitant to preach this a little bit, but I can't not go there because the change in my life four years ago was so dramatic that what's actually hit me this year in perhaps one of the toughest years I've ever faced, that secret place is the only reason I would say that I have held on to my faith, to my hope, and to all that God has promised me along the way. That secret place is a place so secret, so personal that my husband, my children, none of them can create it for me. My pastors can't create it for me. My mentors, my friends. It is so secret and so special that only I can enter it. And I feel like the cry of Jesus' heart today for you women is to meet him there. He says, come meet me here. 
Come meet me in the secret place, in the hiding place. Come meet me and I will show you things you've never seen before. I will love and care for you like you've never felt before. The presence of God is the only thing that will keep your faith from failing. And I have seen it over and over again. We come to conference, we go to church, we're built, we're like, we're never going to leave God, never ever. But if we don't have this time with Jesus, that one-on-one and a lengthy time, I'm, I worry that perhaps our faith will falter or feel not quite as strong. Perhaps, like Mel said, we'll start to kind of, you know, blame God for stuff and wonder why we're in the wilderness when we're in the wilderness. See, the secret place when you're in the wilderness is the only place that will give you strength to do what he has called you to do. I spent so many years of my life relying on the kitchen sink moments. Let me be honest. Honest, I did. So many years. Particularly, you know, initially it was because I was studying full time. But Lord, I'm so busy. Put all this stuff on. Next it was, I'm an emergency nurse. I got stuff, it's huge. I work shift work, I'm in charge, I'm busy. Then the babies came, they were a great excuse. I've got brand new babies. I can't possibly find that time. Now I work two jobs, four kids, one with special needs. Definitely not time now, but, but isn't it funny? Now, I'm in that secret place all the time, all the time. From the very beginning, God wants an intimate relationship with you. His spirit hovered over the, over the earth, Genesis tells us. Part of that is a brooding over the earth. His breath brooded over the earth. And that talks about like an eagle looking after his nest. You see, even before you were created, he was there wanting a relationship with you. He wanted to breathe into your life. He wanted to brood over you, to protect and look after you. Not a distant God, but a God that is in your every day. And you see, if we don't find our secret place, what happens? And we see it in Psalm 32. What happens when I keep it all inside, my bones turn to powder. My bones turn to powder. My words become day-long groans. The pressure never lets up and all the juices of my life dry up. The Passion Version puts it like this, and you might feel like this today, puts it like this. My dishonesty... Here we go. Truth. My goodness, that was such a great message. My dishonesty devastated my inner life, causing my life to be filled with frustration, irrepressible anguish and misery. The pain never let up and I was overwhelmed by life. You see, if we don't have a secret place where we can come before God and discover in his presence, his power to do this life well, we will find ourselves absolutely failing. Earlier this year, we went on a holiday. It was May. And I remember uh, we had the most beautiful seven days at the beach. It was like my husband described it as like God just parted the waters for these seven days. It was just epic, epic. We get in the car to drive home, and I'm not joking. This is not a joke. Both two children decided to get car sick at the same time. Now, I'm a nurse, 
and I have lots of vomit bags, so that's okay. So I'm dealing with that. We're going down the mountain, the children are vomiting, I'm holding the bags, and anyway, we get out of the, my mum my rings, she says, you've got to stop the car, you've got to, I've got some bad news. I'm like, oh, mum, okay. Nick, pull over. So I'm standing, and I'm not joking, Nick had one kid with the vomit bag, right, loud vomiters, children. Husbands are way worse, though. Did they, you know, how many women had like hi, uh, not hyperemesis, morning sickness? Right? Did you vomit loud? No. You got up, you vomited. Oh, go make the lunches now. <laughs> My husband had gastro earlier this year. <laughs> Melissa, you've got to come. I'm like, I'm not coming. It's 2 a.m. <laughs> Put the footy on. You'll be right. Two vomit bags. Nick had one kid, I had the other. My mum rings me, she's Melissa. She goes, my family, just a quick background, we have um, six kids and we're all a mixture of adopted and biological. Mum and dad have adopted special needs kids and fostered kids and all sorts of stuff. And um, so six siblings, two of my brothers have Down syndrome. So one is 25, David, and then my younger brother, Nicholas, who's 18, uh, just turned 18, and they both have Down syndrome, high needs. Um, and so we're standing on the side of the road, and it just, those moments when you feel like the sea that was parted just whoosh. And mum said, I'm, I don't know what to do. I've just been to the GP. It, David has leukemia. And we just thought it was a fluke. Or and he'd fallen out of a tree, which is a long story, but he had. And we thought, he, anyway. But it was leukemia. Now, overnight, my parents, our life completely changed. They live in a property in Victoria, so they had to leave the farm. And to this minute, they haven't been back. Animals had to be um, either put down, to be honest, or given away. And it's, it's just devastated our family. It turns out it's bad cancer, like it's a pretty poor prognosis. It's lymphatic as well. And he's in his second lot of chemo. I'm just going to throw up a quick picture of Davy. It's kind of a funny moment. <laughs> he actually looks really good bald. But this was when I was in the hospital with him. And um, I had the honour of shaving his head. And I said, Davy, I love you, but I ain't doing it either. Good on those people that do that, you know, with support. Yeah, no, that's not happening. So, um, Davey's bald now. But this is my beautiful brother, David, and if I've learned anything at all, he, the strength, the, yeah, it's ridiculous how strong that boy is. So, I went to visit him in the hospital a few days, you know, a little bit later, about a week later, and I saw my younger brother, Nico, in the waiting room, and God said, you've got to take him home. I'm like... Will you take him home? What do you mean I've got to take him home? What does that even mean? And I felt this overwhelming love for him, a parental love, a mum love, not a sister love. I'm like, wow, that's weird. So I said to mum, and yeah, like this kid has never been anywhere. He's always been with mum and dad. So mum, I've got to take Nico. And at this point we thought he'd be able to have treatment right near the farm in, the, in Aubrey. And it seemed doable, right? So I took him home. It was just bizarre. My husband was in Amsterdam, so he came home to another kid. It was exciting. And so suddenly our family went from, you know, fairly 
pretty organised, three children, to me with <laughs> many children. And this is my younger brother, Nico, at our Mother's Day picnic thing. And Tiana, who's, you know, she's high care too. That's my sister. <laughs> but this is now who I'm caring for full time. Whilst, <laughs> not Tiana, oh boy. And what I found in that time was I actually sank into a bit of a dark place, to be totally honest. I got to a place where I hadn't been in my secret place for some time. And I was actually scared to go there. And eventually I found myself realising that the secret place has to be a decision, a choice and a time. And over four years of training in that, it kicked in. And probably around that time, actually, I found myself heading back to my secret place. And there is a picture that's going to go up of my secret place. It's a shed. I'm not joking. A little while back, we set up my shed. And in that place, I close the door and often I'll work out and then I'll just pray and worship and journal and get on my knees before God. The secret place in your world, ladies, has to be a choice. Your friends, your family cannot do it for you. Your church can't do it for you. It has to be your choice. It's a choice of a time. It's a choice of a place. It's a choice to go and actually meet with Jesus. Meet me here, he whispers, every single day. And you know, I will spend many hours in there now depending on how the kids are, many hours. And my heart's cry for you, ladies, is that you would take this and put it into action. Keep the kitchen sink prayers coming. Keep the quick prayer in the car, the five-minute devotional, going to church. It's all brilliant. But don't miss the opportunity that a hiding place gives you. You see, David understood that. And he realised that after all this anguish, the only place he could go was his secret place, his hiding place. You see, the secret place is about deep-seated, gritty prayer. James tells us that we are to pray fervently. Fervently is with passion. Fervently is with that soul kind of out of your belly kind of prayer. Fervently is often loud and it's often soft. Fervently is sometimes just tears and sometimes it's just adoration. Fervently, fervently. And I'm sorry, but I don't think you can pray so fervently in two minutes at the kitchen sink with a toddler off your leg. You've got to make the space. You've got to make the time. And of course it won't go to plan. It won't. The children will still find you. Your husband will still find you. Your study will still be there in the back of your head weighing. Like, you should be studying, you should be studying. You see, it's a fight to get into the secret place. The secret place is a battle that you have to fight, that no one can fight for you, just you, where you put aside this time and you say, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Start with half an hour. 
Maybe it's in your bathroom. Maybe it's in the early mornings. Mine was the bathroom for a while till we got rubber on the floor of the shed (laughs) and it got a bit warmer. Maybe it's the evening when everyone's in bed, but find that time, find that place. Find that place. You see, the secret place is a posture as well. You see, our posture reveals things about us. You know that, right? Body language, all that sort of thing. I have a little challenge for you guys today. And I'm curious. We lift our hands in church. We give. We, we're pretty expressive in C3 especially, which I love so much. But when was the last time you kneeled before God? Because kneeling reveals something. It tells us who we are. As you kneel before God, you are nothing, but you are everything. It reveals who you see God as. Lord, I'm so thankful. Kneeling was done right through the Bible, right through. Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Now, James 5 actually tells us to look at Elijah as an example of prayer. And so if we go to 1 Kings 18, what we'll see is Elijah as this incredible prayer warrior. And what he actually does is he, and I'm not going to read the whole story, but he's trying to get rain to come. And so he's sending his servant up and down hills and doing all that sort of stuff. And, but what Elijah did, here's what he did. He climbed the, to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed low with his head between his knees. His posture before God created a miracle that was not happening until that moment when he got on his knees. And women of God, if we can get on our knees before our Father and we know that he is everything to us, that he is more than enough, then that posture will see you through the greatest battles of your life. I know that I could not do this without the manifestation that happens when I crawl and get on my knees before God. For hours, maybe not hours, minutes. For minutes. And if it doesn't happen, I'm so concerned for us today. I'm concerned there will be Christians that don't step into our destiny, that are totally thrown by things like cancer, like marriage breakups, financial stuff, all of those kind of things. If we can't be women that literally get on our knees, get on our knees, say, Jesus, Jesus, come. This position should be familiar and so real to every single one of you. Every single one of you. You know, Stephen was being, uh, sorry, executed. He was being killed. You know what? I've always looked at that story and thought, oh, well, Stephen, of course he fell to the ground. He was dying. No, no, no. What it says is he kneeled and he prayed for the people that were killing him. He said, God, God, forgive them. He kneeled and he prayed for those that were against him. Daniel, I had not seen it. He kneeled before the window. He kneeled. 
Jesus, Jesus went to the garden in agony. The ultimate example right there, women. He kneeled in the garden and he begged God and he prayed. And you know, right now, I told you I was going to get you to do squats. But you know what I'm actually going to get you to do? Is kneel. And I know that could be awkward for some of you. But I'm actually going to invite you, just as I finish up in prayer, to kneel with me. To get on your face before God. So why don't we begin to do this from the front to the back. If you really do have knee issues, please just sit. (laughs) Same thing though. Absolute submission to God. Jesus, you know, in this place, we find our tongues, we pray in our spiritual language. I don't know how else I could spend so much time there about tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then come chat to us. I'd love to pray for you. But right now, I just want to pray for every single woman. Lord, as we kneel before you, And we say, God, we are your children. We magnify you. Lord, forgive us for all that we've done. As David came to you with an open and exposed heart, we come to you. And I thank you, Lord, that in our secret place, you guide us. You lead us into true freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.